So this morning I was walking to meet a friend for a coffee and I thought, hey, I've got five, ten minutes walk. I might pop Michelle Obama in my ears because today officially is the release of her podcast, the Michelle Obama podcast in the US, which makes it the 30th of July, Australian time. And this first episode happened to be with former President Barack Obama, which I'll give them a little concession on that one because it is lockdown quarantine times and, you know, you got to do what's convenient. So the former, former first lady and former president, they live together. I'm sure that it's, it's pretty chill to, to do an interview. Anyway, other thing I wanted to say on this is that I have a bit of a secret crush on these two. I think they are so, so cute, especially when I saw them dancing to At Last by Etta James, which also happened to be performed by Beyonce. You know, no big deal. Does anyone else out there have a crush on these two or is this just me? Okay, maybe it's just me. But anyway, make sure you drop me a DM or an email if you also share this. I would love to know so that I'm not alone. Anyway, there is a point to this story because this first episode with these two amazing people was centered around the topic of community specifically how community has played a role in their lives from their childhood and now in their life post White House. What has community allowed them to do and how important has it been for them to navigate those times? And my guest today, Alicia Ochoa, is probably what you would call a professional community builder. She's most known for being the founder of AlloCo, which is a digital directory and education platform for female entrepreneurs. For anyone that finds themselves at a career crossroads now, I think you are going to love this episode with Alicia and maybe you won't have to pump that accelerator so hard trying to find the right answers or the right path because as you'll find out, Alicia is an extremely curious person which means that in her 31 years, she's explored a lot of different paths in her career to this point. And much of her skills in this area of community building, she has taught herself from the ground up and she's used the advancement of technology that we've seen, especially in the last few years, to be able to create authentic relationships with fellow dreamers and doers. Cultivating community, empowering women and seeing small businesses thrive not only inspires Alicia, but she also believes this is one of the best ways to learn through human connection, through storytelling, authenticity and vulnerability. As you will find out, we have a super honest conversation and we talk about Alicia's career journey, but also some of the ins and outs of building a community and how you can navigate this online world and use it to your advantage, but also understanding what's involved in the process of creating really deep, authentic relationships, which she believes is totally possible via the internet. Okay, without further ado, let's dive into episode 54 with Alicia Ochoa. This is the True To You podcast, your very own work bestie. Each week, we come together for honest conversations about reinventing yourself and your career, all while navigating a path towards meaningful work. I'm your host, Ruby Marsh. Let's do this. Welcome to the True to You podcast, Alicia. It's beautiful to have the opportunity to speak to you. It is uh, Wednesday afternoon there for you and bright and early Thursday morning for me. Alicia's joining us from San Diego, which is super, super fun. This is what I love about podcasting is that I get to connect with amazing women from all around the world. So thank you for joining us, Alicia. 
Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to uh, get to meet you and talk to you. I've heard a lot of great things about you. So it's nice to be able to not only put a face to a name, but have a conversation to go with it. Yeah. Amazing. Cool. Okay. So it's your afternoon there, but I would love to know on a typical morning, what is it that gets you out of bed? So um, this is actually a really interesting question for me. It's something that I've been considering and working through quite a bit recently. Mm. And um, one of the things that I've found is that having a strict morning routine with the same exact structure every day doesn't quite work for me. And the reason for that is because I have a couple different autoimmune diseases. So my energy levels look different every day. And so I've thought a lot about like the different seasons of my life and um, and how different things work at different times. And so really what I've, what I've done over the years is I've figured out kind of uh, a variety of tools for me. So I know that some mornings maybe I'll get up and I'll be really motivated to do a morning yoga practice or some mornings I'll be like, you know, I actually need 15 more minutes of sleep. So I'm gonna give myself that. And, or some mornings I'll get up and I'll be like, hey, I'm going to go sit outside in my garden and I'm going to read with a latte for the first 30 minutes and set a timer on my phone. And so I think one of the things that really kind of gets me grooving through the day is allowing myself to tune into my head and my heart and my body, meet myself where I'm at, and then kind of provide myself the gift of self-care in some capacity. And so some days it's five minutes, some days it's an hour, depending on my schedule, but knowing that I am intentionally prioritizing myself at the start of the day. So that way I can keep that pattern going forward. Um, I'm a big believer of the concept that you can't pour from an empty cup. And so if I refuel myself at the start, then no matter what tasks I have, I have a little bit of momentum to get into it. Right. Um, and so I would say that, in a way that's the, what fuels me is knowing that I'm prioritizing myself. And so that way I can feel inspired to go into whatever opportunities come my way. And, and, and also giving myself the space to figure out where I am and what I want to be doing. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally, totally. And I love what you said there that, really it comes back to the intention of providing for yourself. And I was thinking as you were saying that we don't have, and I think I might've read this as well in your uh, bio on your website that you don't have your phones in your bedroom. And that's something that we instigated a long time ago. And it's an absolute game changer for anyone out there. I really recommend getting any digital uh, tools out of your bedroom and even yeah. an old fashioned alarm clock. But the hardest thing for me, I find is that even though my phone's not in the bedroom and it's not the first thing I pick up in the morning, it's still giving me that space to tune into my body. And that doesn't even necessarily mean doing something physical, does it? But simply taking a few moments to say, how actually, how am I today? How am I feeling? Right. What's going on? Right. Yeah. Well, and, um, and so, like I said, I have two autoimmune diseases and that means that there are some days where I just do not have a lot of energy. Right. And so maybe that means that I'm going to let myself take a few more minutes in the shower and like, let that hot water hit my shoulders and relax a little bit more. And then there are other days where I'm like, you know, I'm feeling really stiff, but my energy level is actually there. So I'm going to do some yoga. And I know that that will um, provide my body the nourishment that it needs and will also help clear my mind. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I think too often, um, as a global culture, we have this idea that we have to go, go, go all the time and we have to be productive all the time, but we don't reframe this idea of tuning into ourselves as a form of productivity. And I don't necessarily know that it has to be, um, but I do know that when you ignore it, it's going to come back and bite you in the butt because... I don't know about you, but I've certainly been burnt out before and it takes a long time to recoup from. Yes, yes, definitely. And 
I think as women, especially, we have a natural body wisdom that we can tune into. And it also means that our flow of energy is different every day of the month. It's right. And sometimes that can be a little unpredictable, but also once you do start to tune into what that cycle is telling you, it's actually a really beautiful way to regulate your energy and realize actually it's okay to not be on today because I'm in this part of my cycle and I'm it's it's going to be normal to feel a little bit like this so yeah I think it also extends into that that beautiful relationship that we can cultivate with ourselves and get to to know who we are better through our bodies and yeah so well and that. and the thing is when you take an infant like they it, children know who they are in their bodies right um they teach themselves how to crawl and how to walk and how to run and how to laugh, right? How to turn their head. They are so in tune with their bodies that they are able to learn and develop these skills. And then it's almost like through our youth, we unlearn the intuitive aspect. Um, we have a lot of uh, social pressures that all come in and they help us kind of block or put a barricade or blinders on to what we're actually feeling based on how we should be performing in society, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. I think we could riff on this conversation <laughs> forever. Um, yes. Not to mention, you know, the way that we schooled and then the way that we go to work and all of all of those things like you say just uh like a training that isn't necessarily doing us um good in the long run but mm -hmm. i would love to dive a little bit into your career journey because that is part of why i created this podcast is to be able to share uh women's journeys and that the fact that everyone's journey looks so different, even though we might be doing very, yes. very similar things in the end, how we've got to that place is so, so interesting. So partly for my benefit, I love these stories, but I know other women love to be able to hear these because they can see themselves potentially and what you've been through. So I was doing a little research and I noticed that you have, I guess experimented, maybe the word, maybe that's a word you yeah. use with a lot of different things. And uh, there's women on this uh, that would be listening to this that have certainly taken that route. And then others that have maybe been in the same profession for a long time and then get to that point where they decide they want a change. So I would love for you to share with us some of the highlights of that journey. What, what, uh, your career's been like so far and then what that turning point was I'm assuming in the last year or, or couple of years for you to take on this new direction with Aloco and start a community-based uh, business and membership yeah okay. so do you want to share with us what that journey's been yeah, like absolutely uh, so first, I'd like to say that I am a natural, naturally curious person, and I love to learn. Um, I strive to be a lifelong learner, and growing up, I was homeschooled. And so, a, and then in, I went to a public charter school where I was taught about critical thinking and project-based learning. And then in college, I had a really amazing mentor who gave me a lot of opportunities for teaching, um, even at the college level. And I think that one of the key factors that I took away from all of this is that you have to take responsibility for your own education and your own learning. And as long as you continue to learn, then you can continue to grow. And that can be both personally as well as professionally. And that's one of the things that has really helped me navigate these changes through my career. So I, uh, I was thinking about a couple of different things that I've done throughout my life. I'm, I'm 30, right? Or no, I'm 31. Sorry. I just turned 31. I don't even know my age apparently. <laughs> um, but so after college, I wanted to, I graduated with a degree in women's studies with a double minor in art and dance. And I had been accepted to a grad program at 
Berkeley, um, UC Berkeley, and I was wow. going to get my PhD so that way I could um, become a university professor. And it was like a lifelong goal, right? And then I ended up getting diagnosed with some health issues and I couldn't end up going. I uh, deferred my enrollment and couldn't go to the PhD program, which was pretty devastating. And so during that time, I was working at a restaurant. I was a server at a place called The Naked Cafe. It was a breakfast and lunch restaurant. And I worked there through college until after college for six years. Um, and when I look back on my career, I honestly think that that experience was so pivotal for me because it really grounded and rooted the love that I have for community. Mm -hmm. um, it taught me how to hustle. It taught me how to prioritize. It taught me good leadership skills and it um, and good communication skills with my customers. Right? It taught me so. It taught me how to memorize a menu of like thirty million items. Um, it taught me so many important skills, all from working as a restaurant server. So I don't think a lot of people really think of their foundation as a, a job that teenagers often do. But for me, it really was. Uh, after the Naked Cafe, I remember I left that position and I became the personal assistant for a lab director at the Salk Institute. It's a world-renowned research facility and the lab director was um, horrible. She was, she was an 83-year-old woman. And at the time, I just remember being like, my life is the devil wears Prada. After three months of working there, people were shocked that she knew my name. And I was her personal assistant five days a week, right? And like for 40 hours a week, right? And um, I Looking back, I have a ton of respect for her. She became a world-renowned scientist during an era where women were not scientists or were not well-known in the science field. And it's still not equal, but she essentially, um, she was curt and blunt and she got shit done. And so to be able to have said that I worked for her name, her name is Ursula Bluji, I have so much respect. Um, but that also really taught me a lot about my boundaries of how I want to be treated in the workplace and also how I want to be engaged with the work that I'm doing and be passionate about what I'm doing. Um, so after Salk, I ended up at an Amazon agency. I was a copywriter for both Elite and um, elite enterprise brands and smaller brands. And when I look back at that position, the thing that I loved most once again came back to community. Um, the, the community and the friends that I met at that job were incredible. And I, I'm still in contact with quite a few of them today, even if the position that I was doing wasn't necessarily the most engaging thing. But it once again taught me a lot about uh, communication. I was writing for thousands of Amazon SKUs um, for hundreds of companies. And I had a knowledge base about what each product was and the company as a whole. So it taught me a ton. Um, I also taught at a local college. I taught classes about women's studies. I even taught a couple sociology courses about Harry Potter and Disney and how those impact culture, which you might be thinking like, how can a, a college level class on Harry Potter exist? Um, Fun fact, they do, and they're super interesting. I'm a, I'm a raven puff for sure. Um, and Harry Potter definitely has a place in my heart and a big part of my upbringing. And then the, the last big career move that I made was uh, Boss Babes French Club. I had, I founded a ton of different blogs over the years. I taught myself a lot about social media marketing. And then I decided to start something called Boss Babes French Club in 2016. And this was a social networking group for female entrepreneurs and creatives. It started out as just a little passion project. I wanted to host four events a year uh, to get my close friends to connect to each other because I saw that they all were starting these events 
amazing career paths and they could really benefit from connecting with each other, but they didn't know each other. And since I was that missing puzzle piece and that missing link, I felt like it was my responsibility to provide that space for them. So I started Boss Babes Brunch Club. We did our first event. It started getting a lot of traction. And after two years, I hosted over 52 events instead of the preconceived eight, you know? Um, I had a business partner who was working with me at the time. And I remember after those two years, I was just so burnt out. Um, During that time, I was also working full-time at the Amazon agency. So I had a full-time job. I was hosting 52 events. I was in, I want to say it was like 13 or 14 weddings in two years, in those two years as well. And uh, weddings for your friends are a lot of work. Um, Some of them I was bridesmaids in, some of them I was officiating. So I was doing all sorts of things. I was teaching yoga at two different yoga studios. I was so, so, so burnt out. Um, And then by the end of that, in 2018, I had a, a really close friend commit suicide. He was like a brother to me growing up. It was my brother's best friend. And that just kind of broke me. And I was so physically and emotionally drained. I was not listening to my body. Um, instead of practicing the morning routines that I do now, for example, I was waking up at 6 or 6.30 every morning, getting to the coffee shop. Um, nice and early for a couple hours of work on my side hustle before going to a job all day. And then I was coming home and depending on the day, maybe I was grabbing dinner with friends. Maybe I was uh, working until midnight on Boss Babes Brunch Club stuff. Maybe I was teaching yoga. And then on the weekends, I was super social. Um, I was definitely in the mentality of just say yes and just show up and get people to know you. Um, And I was just so burnt out. I, there was a pivotal moment for me where we celebrated our, it was the Boss Babes Brunch Club first birthday, right? And we had a big event for it. It went great. And I came home and I was supposed to go out to an art walk event in our local community. And I just folded in half and just laid on our living room floor. And my roommates were like, are you okay? And I was like, no, no, I'm not. And then five minutes later, I got myself up, put on jeans and went to this local art walk instead of actually giving myself the rest that I needed. So there was a year between that first birthday event. And when I ended Boss Babes, that I was just letting myself get drained and not replenishing and not filling up my cup, right? Um, And and so when I talk about these different ventures that I've had and these different pathways that I've explored, I think that you can look at all of these and say like, okay, well, you uh, started a social networking group, you taught Harry Potter classes, you worked in a science lab, you worked as a copywriter, like, these are all such different things. But when I actually analyze what I love most about all of them is that there's a couple key factors. And those are really the foundational values for Aloco. And that's community connection and curiosity. So I, for Aloco, I just took what I'm most passionate and the core values I have in life and was like, well, how can I present this to other women who may need it? Yeah. I think what's interesting as well is that as you were explaining that journey, and this is the first time I've heard it as well. And I can't believe you've all, you've done all of that in your 31 years. Like that's incredible. (laughs) But for someone that helps women to identify their strengths and be able to capitalize on those, I could see very clearly that there was a pattern of a lot of the same strengths being used throughout all of those different things. And at the same time, uh, it was interesting how you took on so much that perhaps some of those things got clouded and it wasn't until you uh, stripped everything back and into just one thing or uh, one business and 
took a few things out of your life that you started to realize, Hey, this is, this is really what lights me up. Not doing 10,000 things. Right. Right. Like you can't, you can't allow yourself to fully relish in your strengths if you don't provide space for it. Mm. And that's exactly what I was not doing is I, I think that a big part of me was not quite happy with where I was in life, that I felt the need to become over busy. So that way I could overcompensate and not have to deal with my emotions. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and also kind of when I look back on that era, I was dealing with a lot of body dysmorphia. Like I was just looking at old pictures and I remember looking at a picture thinking that I was just like, I was like, Oh my God, I'm so fat. When I took that picture, I, I saw that. And when I look at that now, I'm like, that was, I was in like peak physical condition, you know? And so I was dealing with body dysmorphia issues. I was dealing with, um, my parents had gone through a really nasty divorce and my mom has some pretty intense mental health issues. I was dealing with my own health issues. And so I had all of these outside burdens. And instead of dealing with those, I was just like, let's make myself ultra busy instead, you know, and, and let me focus on my community. So I don't have to focus internally. Yeah. And I, I I will also say I was doing self-development work at the time as well. And I did a yoga teacher training, which truly helped provide the tools for me to kind of save myself in a way. Um, But, but I still wasn't well. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that's just the start of the journey, isn't it? Exactly. Dabbling in something like that, that gives you, like you said, some foundational tools, especially tools for awareness. And I think when I hear a lot of my friends that have been through yoga teacher training, that's a lot of what they get from it is personal insights Mm -hmm. as much as the capacity to teach another person. But that whole journey becomes a mirror for everything that they've been through. So it's a beautiful process in that sense. And I guess my next question was, I was very interested to know how you were doing all of these things, but then at a certain point you were not afraid to let go of something because it wasn't aligned or it didn't feel right. Do you know what that that moment or that series of moments looked like, what that catalyst was and this idea of being aligned with something and aligned with values came through when you were speaking about your community. But do you recall what some moments that had you go, oh, I'm just not living in alignment with what, or discovering, I guess, first what your your truth was and then slowly removing those things that weren't in alignment and what that was like, because it's so hard for us often to give something up because we have a title, we have connections, we have prestige, especially my background as an architect, that was really uh, a big thing to give away because there was so much associated with that career path and so much external validation that came with it. I would love to know what that was like for you and in some of those moments where you decided to let go of some things. I think a lot of it, um, I, I remember a specific moment when I was working at the Naked Cafe and I was sitting there and I was counting my tips and I just had this deep awareness that I wasn't reaching my potential. And that it wasn't to say that working at the Naked Cafe wasn't a great space for me, but I knew that I wasn't making an impact on the world in the way that I I could, right? And it was just a moment of awareness. Um, and, and leaving that job was honestly one of the hardest things to let go of. And the reason for that is because I, I'm a deeply emotional person. Uh, And I've had to train myself and teach myself how to take on a more logical perspective at times. And so I'm, I'm deeply attached to community and situations and people. And like you were saying, um, 
oftentimes we get into these roles and they become a part of our identity, right? And mm. so then when you have this shift of this role, uh, then you have to have an identity shift that goes with it. And you have to realize that you are no longer defining yourself by how other people are defining you, but what you should be to like who you actually are instead. And sometimes that can be exceedingly scary. Mm. Um, and so over the years, I will say that it, this has not always been the awareness that I've had previously, but now when I look at making changes in my life, I think of it much more from a logical perspective because that part is a little bit more foreign to me, whereas the emotional aspect I can completely get tied up, like tied up into, and I can go down 70 different rabbit holes, but that's not actually doing me any good. That's allowing me to either sit in dreamland or sit in my fear, uh, but it's not putting action to the emotions. So when I think of it from a more logical perspective, that's what helps me. And so when I think of big life changes, it's easier for me to see logic in business and it's harder for me to see logic in my own personal life. So I try to look at my personal life almost from a business perspective and think like, okay, well, if I'm assessing my life, then what are my pain points? Right. And so then my pain points are like, first I have to define them. And so maybe my pain point is my commute, right? If I, um, if I'm commuting, then what am, that could be a big pain in the ass for me. It's two, two hours a day and I'm sitting in traffic. Nobody likes that. So that's one pain point. Or my pain point is uh, my, I'm, I'm one of my autoimmune diseases is I, I'm celiac and I keep getting cross-contamination when I go out to restaurants and I keep getting sick. So these are kind of just made up things. But once you start defining those pain points, maybe one of those pain points is your job. And if you're spending a minimum of 40 hours a week in this position, then how do you solve that pain point? And sometimes it can look like you talking to your bosses and saying, hey, uh, I'm not happy in this position and I want to grow. This is what this is what I want to be doing instead, or this is how I think I can be a valuable asset to the company in a different way, or this is the work that I'm doing and this is what I'm getting paid for. And those aren't matching up. Right. Um, so maybe that's solving that pain point, but other times that's not quite gonna solve it. So that means that you need to make a change. And so then I think, uh, I have a, a friend, her name is Libby Karstenstein and she has this concept. It's, it's not what's the worst that could happen, but rather what's the best that could happen. So if I take this risk, what potential is there for uh, achievement in another area or how could I grow? Um, and, and kind of that age-old philosophy of not why is this happening to me, but rather how is this happening for me? So you can be scared and take a leap simultaneously. When people are courageous, it's not necessarily that they are not fearful. It's that they're looking at that fear, they're assessing the risk, and they're going after it anyways, as long as it's a reasonable uh, risk to take. So when I, when I look at these career changes that I've made, at Naked Cafe, I, I simply wasn't reaching my potential. So then I went to the Salk Institute, and the Salk Institute, I was commuting anywhere from an hour to three hours a day, depending on if my shuttle would make it to the train, you know, with a woman who didn't or barely knew my name after three months. And I was like, this isn't the world that I want to be living in. And I'm, I'm deeply unhappy in this. And so how can I make a shift to make myself more happy? And so that looked like getting out of that, that position. And so then I went to the Amazon agency and I ended up, um, the, this job was super, super formative for my journey because not only did we have an amazing friendships that, or did I have amazing, amazing friendships that were built there, but I also took some really big leaps with my career and how I communicated and owned my knowledge base. Mm. Um, and so after being there for about two years, I went to my bosses and I said, I, this is the job description that I signed on for. 
this is the task list that I'm currently doing and this is where I would like to grow. And so we did about six months of negotiation um, where I was going to go from a copywriter position to a associate creative um, associate creative director position. And then after six months of negotiation, we were about to go in, sign all the paperwork, get everything signed, sealed and delivered. And they said, hey, you know, we've actually had a change of direction. There's no room for growth for you. But you can stay in this copywriting position if you want. You still have a job, but all these things we've been promising you for six months, they're out the door. And I had a full-on panic attack in the meeting. Um, I was so heartbroken. I had ended Boss Babes because I knew that I had a couple different career paths. One of them was Boss Babes and one, is, one of them was the Amazon agency. And that Amazon agency seemed more promising um, and more stable, which was something that I was really looking for. And then I quit this passion project and something that I had my heart and soul into. And then the Amazon agency just let that go as well. So at that point, when you really assess what's the pain point and the pain point is, it's not that there's no room for growth. It's that they are not respecting me or my knowledge base or what I have to offer. And they are, essentially lying to me in meetings because they could, they knew this prior to six months, right? That's not how I allow myself to be treated. And I remember um, one of the, one of the owners of the company said, what the fuck to me in the meeting pretty aggressively. And I just turned and looked at him straight in the eyes. And I said, I'm sorry, nobody speaks to me that way. And that was mm -hmm. such a pivotal moment for me for owning my worth and owning the respect that I deserve that I knew from that moment on, there was no future for me there. And I had to move on. Yeah. So in starting Co, I'm really interested because of all of these experiences, awareness that you gained, strengths that threaded through this journey so far there's a couple of key things values have become really important to you from what mm -hmm. i understand and also boundaries because i think we need to know what our our values are first in order to establish the boundaries that we need in place and it sounded like there was a few times where people were overstepping your boundaries but perhaps you didn't have the tools yet to realize that. And now in saying, okay, clean slate, I'm starting from scratch. This is a new endeavor. How much has, have boundaries played a role in creating this environment where you can really thrive in this, in this new space and in this new business? I would say that boundaries have played a pretty pivotal role for me. I have 100% the ability to be a workaholic um, yeah. overachiever. And one of the things that I'm really trying to do with Aloco is be more intentional about how I'm spending my time with the growth of this company. So that way I can make sure that's sustainable and I don't burn out. I know that I need to prioritize my health and I also know that I want to prioritize my relationships. And so if I'm working um, all day, every day and weekends on this, then the other aspects of my life that are equally important to me, if not more so, are not going to, um, they're not going to thrive the way that I want them to. I am a firm believer in we, we, spend our time on what we value, right? Mm. So for me, that means setting boundaries for Aloco that I, on the occasion, maybe I'm doing a launch of something, then maybe I work a little bit extra, but I still also make sure that I'm shutting my computer off by 6 p.m. most nights. And mm. um, that if I do decide to work on a weekend, I have a set amount of hours that I'm working and I declare those uh, to both me and to my partner for accountability to be like, hey, I'm gonna work from 10 to one just so I can bust these things out and then I'm gonna stop working and I'm gonna let myself reset. 
Um, the other thing with that is that with Alloco, so it's a digital directory for female entrepreneurs and we have a strong, uh, a strong foundation in community and relationships, right? But mm. when you have a bigger community, that also means that you have more space for love and compassion. And it also means that you have more space for heartbreak. And so it's important to me as being a pretty dang emotional person that I set my boundaries about who I let in. So that way um, I can protect my heart. You know, there's only so much heartbreak that you can handle and there's only so much, uh, well, I would, I don't want to say there's only so much room for love and compassion, but you can only talk to so many people in a one, in a certain day. And something that I've really had to wrap my brain around um, with community is that I want this community to feel inclusive and I want this community to feel welcoming. And I also know that not everyone is going to love it and that's okay. Um, we have this idea that, or a lot of people have this idea that they want everyone to like them, right? I don't really want to be seen as nice though. Like being nice seems kind of boring to me. I would rather think that maybe you think I'm kind or you think that I'm really curious or you think that I'm really smart or I'm intuitive or I'm genuine. Like those are the terms that I would rather have you describe me as. Whereas nice just seems like an empty compliment. Um, but if not everyone likes me and that's okay, right? Uh, I, I used to use the example, I remember working with a, a friend on this concept and she was, she's a people pleaser by nature or, or rather maybe by social standards because that's what we've ingrained in people. And she was like, I just, I want people to like me. And I was like, well, but do you want Nazis to like you? <laughs> and it's, it's kind of crazy now because in this day and age, like it, it seemed like such a bold statement at the time that was so obscure. Like, of course you don't want Nazis to like you. But now in the United States, uh, there is so much white supremacy going on that that takes on a whole new meaning. So I think I need to find a different example for that. Um, but I mean, I guess the statement still shows true. Like, is that is that in your value system? Do you want people that you don't align with to to like you on and what you agree with. Mm, mm. Does that make sense? I feel like that was not yeah. quite as eloquent as I wanted, but you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And well, it, then it becomes a case of looking for those people. And this is very much, I think, why you're creating an, a community that's underpinned in very specific values is because you're not necessarily looking for a group of people that are all the same in terms mm -hmm. of their background, where they come from, what they do, all of those different demographics, but rather the things that actually make them who they are. And then part of that is their values and that being something that ties you all together. And so I guess when you're asking your friend that it's like, well, you know, let's get clear on what, is important to you and then you can decide whether you really need all of these people to like you <laughs> based right. on that yeah yeah right. totally that's that's so cool I love that and I love someone that's really clear in their values and then is moving forward with a mission that is rooted in those values as well and I know something that you said around community uh, it's always been a thread through what you've done, but I think it's so interesting that in this last, how long have you had Aloco simmering as an idea? And it's, it's just really come to fruition this year in terms of making it live. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. So um, I ended Boss Babes in 2018 and then in 2019, I was starting to get like a simmering of wanting to do something entrepreneurial again, but it wasn't, I, it, I wasn't ready for it. 
And I kept playing around with ideas and I had this idea for something called the Honey Shine Project and it just never fully grew legs. Um, yeah. And I never felt really grounded in it or clear on what I wanted to do. And then I would say that maybe five months ago, maybe, I got extremely clear on what I wanted Aloco to be and and the foundational aspects of it. And then I just kind of went with it. Because once you get clear and you already have like I I've done this before in the sense that I've started a business before I know what steps I need to take. And so then once I got clear on what I wanted it to be, it was easy to implement and start taking those steps. Yeah. Did you see 2020 is also a pivotal year where we were seeing our communities being shaken up and some of those communities that we were used to having in person were changing weren't existing uh -hmm. maybe they won't exist indefinitely but for most part temporarily and so did you also feel fueled by the changes that were happening around us and thought hey i need to get this going or was that purely by coincidence i think it's a little bit of both um i think that Part of 2020 is that it has allowed me to slow down and by slowing down and giving me that space, it provided me with more time to focus on things that I'm actually passionate about. Uh, And when I'm focusing on those things that I'm passionate about, they're all kind of a form of meditation for me, which give me space in my brain to think of new creative ideas. And so I think that was part of it. I think the other part was that I do really value and love my community and my friends. And so not physically being with them was a little bit challenging, but I will also say that it was less challenging for me than for others. And I think the reason for that is because I've always had a pretty strong virtual community. Um, Yeah. And so I already had this practice in place that I knew that I could build genuine connections online. I have a, I have a group of women in my life. We have all been virtual friends since I want to say I might've been 14 or 15 and we had something, we had a group on live journal and it was a private group. And then that ended up dying off when I was in college. And then a couple of years ago, we decided to join a new private Facebook group. And I talked to these women pretty much daily. And some of them I've met in real life. Some of them I've never met, but I text pretty often. Um, I've been in some of their weddings during those, cra- those crazy two years of me being in 14 weddings. I was in a, a wedding or two with them. Um, like these friendships that I made were genuine and they were true and we were able to share these vulnerabilities of our lives and this growth that we were all experiencing together. And I think one of the reasons for that is because of the freedom that the virtual space gives you. Um, I know that a lot of people think that Instagram, for example, can be fake. It's full of influencers, right? But then what can you actually do with that when you are provided a space that gives you a little bit more freedom in breaking down boundaries and breaking down uh, walls that you've built for yourself in a healthy way? Um, One of the things that I know some therapists recommend is let's say you have something that you want to say to someone well maybe speaking it to them isn't necessarily the easiest thing for you to do maybe instead you write them an email or you write them a letter well when you have these virtual friendships it's almost like you're just writing these emails and writing these letters the entire time and so you have these walls already broken down so you can build a true genuine relationship um so i would say that my my group of ladies sg they are a huge huge part of the inspiration for aloco um the other component is i mean 
I don't know. I I met my partner. We've been together uh, over a year and we met on Hinge. Like if you can meet someone who you fall in love with online, why can't you meet a good girlfriend? <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and then the other component is one of my very best girlfriends. Her and I, we lived in the same neighborhood and we met. And then a couple months after she we met, she went and traveled Southeast Asia for six months. And it was during that traveling experience that we became such close friends because we were both so honest with each other through our communication on Facebook and emails. And that set the true foundation for our friendship based in honesty and trust because we knew we could already do that virtually. And so then we just transposed it into the real world experience. And so when I brought all of those different components together, I was like, yeah, this seems obvious to me. Of course, this is what I should do, you know? Yeah, I think that's, that's so interesting. Uh, and this is a bit of a personal insight, but I always have some conflict and maybe it's because I'm in my late 30s. So I kind of jumped on social media a little bit later than say, you might have, I didn't grow up being on social media as much. Right. And so I always have this conflict between being in a physical space with people uh, offline because I've mm -hmm. seen real power, like a lot of uh, the work I've done up until this year primarily has been offline in speaking and workshops and not necessarily working with my clients uh, in like physical proximity, most of my work's done online with clients, but certainly that com those community-based uh, opportunities have been in the offline space. So I'm really, really curious to meet people who can do it really well online and you're a really good example. And so I think it's, it's very pure, your intentions in terms of creating this online community, because you're not coming at it from someone like me that has a bit of conflict and is thinking, could this really work? But you're someone that's actually tested this in your personal life for years and years and years. Yeah. And so you can bring that into this, into Aloco. I would also say that something that I think is really important um, to keep in mind when building virtual friendships or virtual relationships is that like anything, good things take time. So you can't expect to have a really strong relationship with somebody that you've met online after a week right? That's not realistic. You need to reassess your expectations. Similarly, if you go and you meet somebody in person and you meet them one time for coffee, then you're not going to be like, oh my gosh, you're my best friend forever um, after that one time because good things take time to build, right? So if you're building a friendship, if you're building a business, if you are building a house, you know, any of these things, you have to be patient with them. And it just, the, the way that you build that is by being honest with yourself and being honest with others as you become more and more comfortable with them. And you have to create a level of trust. And that means that you also have to be trusting. Um, mm. I think that when it, it comes to the virtual space, it's a little bit more, actually, I don't necessarily know if it's a little bit more challenging. Um, you just have to listen to your intuition. And I think that you need to know what is comfortable for you. And you actually have to figure out what your values are on how much you share. Um, like I, I have a personal Instagram account and I have a public Instagram account that is for Aloco. And the reason I have that is because there are certain personal things that I wouldn't necessarily share with my entire Aloco community. Um, out of respect for not only myself, but others in my life. Right. Mm. And so it's important that you figure out what those boundaries are before you just start kind of word vomiting everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, that's so good. That's really, really good advice. And I know the women listening to this, uh, going to take that on board and hopefully start reaching out and connecting with with women that they they find interesting. Obviously, the thing is that when you see someone on Instagram, 
you do have to take that step to reach out because you can't know everything from all of right. their posts on Instagram. That's and and they're potentially like you say, like for you, if you're if someone was to reach out to you through Aloco, you're creating a certain um type of experience when people land on your Instagram. So then, yeah, you really do need to reach out and connect so that you can create that next level of depth and understand who this person is. If there's any women listening to this though, that are a bit afraid or think it's weird or whatever limiting beliefs they have around reaching out and collaborating or connecting simply because you're interested to know a little bit more about that person. What's one or two things that you could do to make that a really fun process and make that not so daunting and have it actually enrich your life and maybe benefit your business or maybe benefit your career down the line? I think that it's important to be really intentional with your words. Um, things like tone and body language are taken out of the equation when you're talking about virtual connection a lot of the time, unless like you and I right now, I can see you on a Zoom call, but if I'm DMing you on Instagram, you don't know any, like you don't know my tone. What if I miss a comma in an important place, right? It can have a drastically different meaning. meaning. Um, so be intentional with your tone. But more importantly, I think that when you are DMing somebody or when you are reaching out to them, make sure that it's not just because you want more likes or you want them to see your information, but that you actually have a true genuine curiosity about what they're experiencing and what they're going through and how you could connect. Because people can tell that, right? Um, if somebody comments on one of my posts and is like, oh, great job, this is awesome, versus somebody saying, wow, this really, really resonates with me because of X, Y, and Z, we both know which one is gonna be more captivating for me. Um, so be intentional with your words. I also would say, don't be afraid to give compliments. Um, like it's, it's somebody were to comment and say, wow, I really love this about you. I really love your sweater today. It looks so comfy or what you said really hit close to my heart. And I loved it so much. Like that isn't an awkward thing to share. It's just an honest thing. Right. And be, be kind. Um, don't be afraid to, to compliment somebody or give credit where credit is due. And, and just uh, think that if you were in their position and if you were receiving that message, how would it make you feel? And I think mm -hmm. that if it would make you feel good um, or curious or, something along those lines, you're probably on the right track. Um, and be, in, be intentional with your words and your, your grammar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's something I definitely probably need to work on, but, uh, I mean, I certainly <laughs> throw a correction with an asterisk in there regularly. So it's not just yeah. you, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's really good. That's really, really helpful, Alicia, because I know that we're now faced with this opportunity to expand our network, to uh, create collaboration opportunities. And especially when it comes to collaborating, um, maybe reaching out to be a guest on a podcast or all of those sorts of things. It's certainly when you're on the receiving end, it makes it a lot easier when you know that that person has been in your community or been on your mm -hmm. radar or actually made an effort to reach out genuinely. And I think uh, for the most part, I've had such amazing response when you take that approach and vice right. versa. Like it's a two-way relationship. App, it, because that's exactly what it should be. Like, that's exactly mm. what you're trying to cultivate is a mm. relationship, right? And so if a relationship is only one way, then we know that it's 
set to fail. So if you want this to actually be a solid relationship, you both need to be putting in that work. Um, that being said, I kind of wanted to touch back on something you said in regards to, let's say you're open to a collaboration or you're hoping for something mm. along those lines. Mm. If somebody says no, they are not saying no to you. They are saying no to that specific opportunity. And I think this is a very, very, very important thing to be able to differentiate in your brain because you are not your work. And you may be putting your heart and your soul into your work, but that is not what defines you. And so when they are saying no to, let's say, a podcast um, interview, they are not saying, I am saying no to you, you are not worthy of this. What they are saying is, hey, maybe this isn't a good fit for me at this time. But you don't know what's going on in their personal life. Maybe they actually have a year of guests already lined up. Maybe they are actually thinking that they're going to end their podcast in two months. Mm. Maybe they simply don't have the bandwidth right now to do more interviews. Um, maybe their grandma's in the hospital. You don't know, right? So when somebody is saying no to you, it is not necessarily that you they are saying no to you as an individual. It's saying they, they are saying no to that opportunity. And when you say no to somebody, it should be the exact same, right? And, yeah. um, and you have to, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite quotes is that you have to have a strong no in order to have a powerful yes. Yes. So you need to be able to be certain in the opportunities that you want to take. And you need to create space for those opportunities by saying no to other ones. And yes. when you're doing that, you're not being harmful to the person that you're saying no to. You're just trying to create more space for the opportunities that you're really hoping for. Mm, so yes, yeah, it's important to keep that in mind. Absolutely. And when you have that level of clarity, and, and I, it, look, it's, uh, I've also been in the early days of starting a business where you do need to take a lot of opportunities. So sometimes you do need to say yes to a lot. And eventually, though, once you're really, really clear, and mm -hmm. I would say as early as you can, and, and that's probably learning from experience too, be selective about those opportunities because not everything's going to resonate with you and not everything's going to be in line with your values and uh, boundaries and things like that. And it's more important for you when you get further down the track, I'm sure you would know this. If you've been that person that says yes all the time, you actually lose mm -hmm. that level of clarity of where you're going with your work and what your mission is. So. Yeah, exactly. I was actually talking to my dad's wife yesterday. She's a lovely human and she was saying, um, that when she does something, we were, we were talking about this idea of motivation being fleeting and that you're not always motivated to start something, but once you get going, the motivation normally finds its way. And mm. she was saying that when she has an opportunity or a situation that she has to have three different reasons why this brings value to her before she says yes. Wow. And I thought that was such an incredible rule of thumb that I think I'm going to start practicing. So let's say you, um, let's say you have a podcast guest and you're like, well, I don't really know about this, but if you can define three reasons why that brings you value, then maybe it's a good fit, you know? Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I think after a while as well, I would say that gut instinct starts to drop into and, and you pretty much know when something's a good fit and, and right. even, even when you when you have your intuition dialed, though those yeses and those nos become a little easier as well. So I would right. love to close out the conversation by asking you a little bit more about what's next for Aloco, because I notice that you're offering education and courses and that's going to be part of the offerings for your community. So tell me a little bit about what this entails, what that's going to look like and how you're going about that when they're going to be launched and all of those amazing things. 
Yeah. So um, currently with Alloco, it is a paid membership site. You can sign on and get your first, I believe it's 30 days free. So you can check it out, see if it's a good fit for you. And it means that you have access to a digital directory of hundreds of female entrepreneurs in various fields. So if you need a photographer, you literally just type in photographer and you can see people both in your area or in a global space um, and see women that you can connect and collaborate with. My goal with that was to build an easy way to build these connections for others. Um, I also, we, there's a member resource library and that has everything from um, how to review your year to see where you're spending your time because we know where we spend our time is what we value to make sure that your values and your time are in alignment, your values and your actions mm -hmm. are in alignment to um, a daily check-in on your head, heart, and body, or your, I have a, a document on um, how to build a sustainable morning routine for every season in life. And so it's kind of that core outline with examples, and then over time that becomes a intuitive way for you to live. Um, there's also a private Facebook group um, that is only for members. And then in I believe in September, I'm gonna be launching a series of digital courses. And I'm also hoping to start a scholarship program, which I'm really excited about. And so that will um, provide an annual membership as well as some sort of coaching and mentorship for four women per year who are women of, uh, women of color or trans women. Yeah, yeah. And, your intention with Alloco, what's like the big, big vision just to, to sum up this whole conversation that has had so many interesting twists and turns. And I loved where we've gone with this. I know this is going to really help the women that listen to True to You. But what's the big vision for Alloco? If you could sum it up in a couple of sentences, what would it be? The big vision is to create a one spot hub where women can feel like they have a place to continuously learn um, both for their craft or for business as well as for um, their authentic self, right? Um, a place where they can build community and a place where they can find connection with other women. So the community aspect is maybe your asking a quick question here and there and then the connection aspect would be like finding that directory and actually connecting on an entrepreneurial level amazing so it's just oh. yeah a one-spot hub for every for all of that um with resources to keep you engaged and to keep you learning and to make sure that you're in alignment with your core values uh so good so good i love that you came back to core values because that circles back nicely right to the beginning of what we spoke about if anyone wants to check out aloco or hang out with you online since you're a bit of a, a master at that where can we find you alicia um you can find me uh, on instagram and facebook at aloco community and slide into my dms come say hi um I, I clearly love virtual connections and, and if you have questions, don't hesitate to reach out. My website is allococommunity.com and uh, you can find out all of the information about joining our membership and joining the community. It's pretty awesome. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today, Alicia, and wishing you all the best with that big vision. I love it. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was great to talk to you.